0: Hello, and welcome to season two of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Amanda Jacobasi. Amanda, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah,
1: happy to. So, Amanda Giacobassi, I'm the Director of Solutions Architecture at Percuto. Percuto is an agency, now part of the agency Merge, that helps businesses expand marketing capacity, develop new enterprise-ready integrations with Mercado, and strategically build and scale operations within Marketo. And my background is in primarily marketing and demand generation. But I've really come to love working in the often nebulous space of using tools and process to solve business challenges.
0: Well, I'm so glad you're here, welcome. And I just, for our listeners, we're gonna do a little bit of a trigger warning because we're gonna get on our soapboxes a little bit, I think, because today we, were ta- we are talking about how to avoid everything being an emergency in marketing operations. Yeah, a
1: very a triggering subject for some who live in a very reactive space and environment in most of their work days. So it can be, it can be a big topic to pull apart.
0: Yes. And we were talking about how even uh, fiscal planning, (laughs) I've seen it be an emergency. And and you mentioned coming up with Q1 OKR goals in March, and that just really hit me in the feels. So where should we even start? Well, I think a
1: a good place to start is what is an emergency, Mm -hmm. maybe an emergency, You know, something that should be unforeseen and very serious, needing immediate action. Yes. There are a lot of urgent requests that are foreseeable. And that's something that I think often gets conflated, uh, you know, a edit request for an ebook title when you're about to publish the ebook. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in the demand generation world of publishing content. Of course. I've seen content (laughs) marketers, I've seen CEOs come in and say, oh, we just need to relabel the title. It's like, okay, well, that's the PDF. It's the PDF URL. It's the PDF file name. It's the email. It's all of these different elements that need to change and you need to not miss any
0: of them. So if there's One word I could remove from the leadership lexicon, it's just, because it really minimizes the effort the other person needs to go through and displays a lack of knowledge, hopefully, about the effort it does take to fix everything. So I wish, I hope, leaders are a little bit more mindful about throwing that word around because it can really impact someone's emotions. Right. And we all have a process
1: to how we work. Some roles and teams are more process oriented and a little bit more defined with formalized SLAs. Others, it's informal, which I think makes it harder. I think not having formalized process because then others don't necessarily know what your process is. Uh, But the use of that word just conveys that you know, maybe you're just skipping a whole bunch of steps in the process. Someone is unaware of what's involved, and usually, when there's a last-minute request, it's QA that goes out the door. And when you're trying to accommodate changes to be a team player and to make sure that campaigns can still be launched on time, the risk that there's a mistake goes way up. And I think there's a tacit acceptance by the entire team involved, the team making those last-minute requests, that mistakes are acceptable because they work in a reactive, urgency-driven place.
0: Yes, but that's really rarely the expectation. Right. I'm having flashbacks and I'm gonna start a segment on the RMR called, I I don't know, I'm toying with names, but maybe the soapbox. But what's coming to mind, we had this big announcement at a company I was at. We made a ton of last-minute changes. I cloned the Marketo process and forgot to change the audience. and it was one of those last minute, I felt terrible. We had minimal unsubscribes. It was fine. The messaging was very benign. But uh, yeah, that probably wouldn't have happened if I didn't have somebody standing over my desks, (laughs) staring at what I was doing.
1: Right. And it's not to say that that last minute requests or change orders for something that's going out the door from a systems person you know the last person to touch a campaign is going to be the systems operations person Mm -hmm. Um, it's not to say that it's it's impossible to accommodate those or that they should always be denied those requests should be denied but i think it's really important to think through scenarios and slas and saying and formalizing that process so that you turn a last-minute request into a known quantity. If you want me to change within this window, I'm still gonna go through these steps. These steps take me this much time, so I need this much time to do it. And if I don't, if I don't have my one day or my one hour, depending on what we're talking about, I I do not feel comfortable accommodating the request. And the trade-offs are that there can be errors. Yeah. And then it puts it right up front hmm do you want to do you want to accept the risk of their errors and I've seen a lot of marketing peers and marketing managers who make these types of requests of individual contributors then back off yes no 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 I
0: do not want errors yep before we dig into how we can kind of operationalize our interactions with a non-operational team I'd love to kind of talk about what is an emergency and the mops people listening are, are going to already know this, but to me, a true emergency is a system outage or some kind of major process issue in the system that's identified and needs to be resolved immediately. That totally makes sense to me. If we have something running in the background all the time that is running incorrectly, we need to jump on it immediately. That makes sense. Things that are not emergencies, like I think of anything that has to do with a campaign should not be an emergency.
1: Right. There can be messaging corrections that you want to put out there as fast as possible, but really those should be planned. Those should be planned for, and they should be, they should be very rare. And typically I have not, I should say maybe not even typically, I have not seen a change in messaging that was a do or die moment for a company for something that went live unless it's a correction of a previous error that was released because of this type of urgency-driven work.
0: So a few ways I've seen this kind of rush behavior mitigated or corrected. So in smaller organizations in particular, sometimes marketing is responsible for product system outage notifications via email because we don't have maybe the messaging in the product yet or some kind of other mechanism. The way we can mitigate that is to meet as a group and kind of workflow out what kind of outages and what kind of situations impact which audiences and very clearly define those audiences ahead of time. Yes. And that way, when the request comes in from the customer success team or the product team, they know to tell you which audience is impacted, what's happening, if any steps need to be taken on the customer side, etc.
1: I think it really comes down to planning. Yes. Ultimately, the way you avoid being an emergency driven individual contributor or team is through planning and anticipating different scenarios. And that can be in the scenario of an outage, like you mentioned, who do you contact? What do you do? Or in the scenario of a live event, which now so many of them are virtual. Yes. You know, you have your trade show marketers, your field event marketers, uh, who are now coming to MOPS teams more than ever, saying, "Well, it's not just a microphone outage on a stage that we need to to have some backup planning for. It's the virtual events system shutting down, or the camera shutting down for the speakers. So actually, the events space, I think, has really moved into the marketing operations world, and that's that's a world where you need scenario planning. What happens if the speaker's internet connection goes out? For example, if you're doing a virtual trade show with 10,000 people watching a keynote speech, a lot of them are recorded in advance, but not all of them. You'll often have product announcements, uh, some sessions that are, that are truly live. And there's a lot of backup planning there. And I think those strategies uh, can be applied to marketing operations globally. So for different types of requests, for different types of circumstances, um, how do you react in those environments? And then it takes the stress off. And I think we know that everyone thinks better when they're in a low-stress situation. You don't forget steps. You can kind of think with a clear, level-headed mind.
0: You know, the phrase that's repeating in my head, though, is we make time for the things we care about. And I've been in situations where a campaign a, a creator, a very creative person comes up with an idea and wants to implement it immediately and gets frustrated when we slow them down. But I think at those moments, it's really important one to keep a cool head <laughs> and to communicate, okay, let's define what success is for this campaign. And if we want to do this again, we want to do it better. And we want to prove that there's ROI so we can continue doing it like there's, there's value in slowing down and making sure you nail the basics. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. And I I think what you bring up touches on agile team structure. I think that's a word that's, that gets used a lot in, in marketing, you know, the genesis being in software development, but now it's been co-opted by marketing groups. Everyone wants to be agile. I think it's Important to remember what that means. You know, the agile methodology is about short release cycles. It's not about constantly changing requirements. Um, so pivoting and being agile, I would say, are actually quite different. Uh, that with, once you're in a release cycle, and maybe that's two weeks for your team, or maybe that's six weeks, depending on the type of project or the working group that's that's together. But once you've started, you're not changing. And you go all the way through that release cycle versus saying, we want, we think we want two emails and a landing page, but we actually want three emails and multiple landing pages for different types of segments. That, that world of changing requirements makes it very hard to do high quality execution work. And I think that's, it's incompatible with the agile methodology. You just want to break the project into the smallest unit pieces possible in order to go through very quick release cycles.
0: Yeah, totally agree. And I'm wondering if inserting a project manager or some kind of step really early on during the planning process where we know to loop in marketing operations and have a fly on the wall to set proper expectations just seems to me like the right way to go. I don't know why... When we're talking about key objectives and how we're going to meet them, why marketing operations is not at the table. That seems like a a really big miss to me in some organizations. Have you seen that as well?
1: Yeah, where you have a group of people planning a, a campaign, planning audiences, messaging, campaign delivery vehicles, so emails, ads, and they go and think about all of that. And then they bring it to the marketing operations group when they are ready to go live. Uh, really puts the marketing operations group, which often, by the way, in these types of organizations are not built out teams. It's like the digital marketing manager who's also managing systems, who has other responsibilities. So that scenario, somebody has many responsibilities and one of them is to schedule the emails. They don't really have a chance to provide input into how the systems best support the type of campaign that the creative group or the product marketing group wants to launch. It creates a complicated scenario of needing to maybe say no to someone. And it's very challenging to say no. And that's where having that middleman of that project manager or maybe a direct manager can really help to buffer the individual contributors.
0: That's a great point. And I was just thinking that um, some of the things you lose out by not including operations early, and we need a range of personalities. And I'm not making judgments on the super creative personalities like we need them in marketing. But sometimes I've seen somebody really gung ho about an idea and they think it's going to really make a big splash and they want to send it to everyone, but they're sending like a piece of swag that costs the company $350 a piece it's beneficial to have the marketing ops person in there to hit the brakes a little bit and say you know this is a pretty expensive initiative do we want to start with a very narrow segment of our audience do we want to pilot this as an abm multi-channel approach what are the other things we should be thinking about here i think operations really brings to the table that combination of strategic and tactical that sometimes is missing
1: Absolutely. And the operations group has the visibility into everything that's happening for the team because all of the campaigns that are being launched on digital channels go through the operations group. So in terms of thinking through wanting to communicate with everyone on a topic, well, marketing operations can help manage the email calendar, for example, that others might not be thinking about. Hopefully, as a team matures, operations does play a larger and larger role in expectation setting and in guiding the campaign execution style, and also in just uh, having shared ownership over the various campaigns that are happening and how you start to think about coordinated communication, not just one, one marketer's uh, communication initiatives, but those initiatives reconciled across all of the marketers on the team.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point that even in small organizations, one hand doesn't always know what the other is doing. Have you seen some kind of meeting structure cadence work really well to get people coordinated across the department?
1: I've actually seen tools work really well here, uh, like an Asana email marketing calendar or a a calendar of sorts that can be shared publicly across the team. And, And marketers are just pointed to that all the time. Sometimes it's a spreadsheet, which takes a lot of manual intervention. So there are some tools that make it a little bit easier if you have a workflow management tool that also allows for some type of calendar visualization. I think that's the best because you're already in that tool. Like that's why I like Asana for that purpose. You would kind of train the whole team to look there so that they can see what else is going out to the different audiences. And then the more robust the tool is, the more you can identify what communication is being sent and to whom so that people can start to see if their audience that they have in mind is actually being communicated with through some other channel for some other campaign.
0: Have you been burned by attribution? Are you tired of fighting with salespeople over target accounts and lead scores? We've all been there, and that's because traditional marketing analytics tools bolt onto your CRM and calculate attribution and engagement scores on the data as it is. And let's face it, most of the time, your CRM data is far from perfect. CaliberMind is unique because it pulls data from all your sources, not just your CRM, into a data platform. CaliberMind unifies your information, which means you can attribute dollars to website activity, standard Salesforce campaign activity, and more without wasting time in spreadsheets. Ditch the spreadsheets and check out a new way to analyze revenue data with CaliberMind at CaliberMind.com. So what I've seen also done a lot is establishing SLAs. So in order to do this thing, I need a minimum of this much time. I have seen that be completely dependent on management reinforcing it. And when management does not reinforce it, that does not work. What have you seen work in terms of getting management buy-in to adopt that kind of structure?
1: I think two things. One of them is maybe easier to do than the other. One is, having a really good line of communication with management. Management, an ideal manager, individual contributor scenario, is a manager who's informed on what their reports are doing and how they work, how they work and what they're working on, so that that manager can really be the gatekeeper for requests and understand in order for an email to go out, it takes this many days or this many hours, and we don't accept change requests within this window of something going live online um, unless there
0: is a true a true emergency, right, which should be extremely rare. Um, One augment to that I would suggest is if there are change requests, you go back to the front of the line.
1: Yeah. I think the other piece, though, in addition to just that visibility and communication, that takes the individual contributor being really willing to over communicate with their manager, so their manager's informed. The second piece is the manager not passing urgency through to the employee in every case. I think the worst case scenario that I've seen and experienced is a manager saying to me, so do you think you can accommodate this request? What should I tell them? You know, the manager is not even taking the ownership over making the ask, just being the messenger of somebody else's ask. And that takes a manager with the ability to say no to others as well. And, and that uh, you know, nice no of this is why, or this is the trade-off that we're looking at. So if you can get buy-in from the other people who are gonna have to wait, you know, then we can discuss. But it does take that gatekeeper actually being a gatekeeper instead of just a throughput of every urgent request then still needs to be triaged by the individual contributor. And that's, that's an experience thing, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking through the art of no, yeah. So I was taught very early on not to say no, and that's not the right answer. So I think it's okay to say yes, but that that might work. But sometimes it's okay to say not right now. Here are my other priorities. Here are the things on my plate. What would you, here are the people who expect them to be done. Who would you like to speak with to move things down? And then sometimes it's, I just I can't support this right now because we have three key initiatives we need to hit before the end of the quarter and this doesn't fall into that bucket but the ability to tactfully and and that last example was not the best of a a tactful explanation but the ability to tactfully explain in a way that your teammate will understand and, and appreciate is priceless and that's something you get with experience but I think If you put yourself in the other person's shoes and see why this is urgent and they're upset about it, it makes it a little bit easier to communicate. Maybe they're trying to hit a a goal that they were given. Maybe they're getting pressure from an executive. All of these things happen and it's important to really ask why something is urgent before you go to the no. Have you seen other tactics work in terms of communicating, given perhaps we don't have a manager or maybe a team of one, what kind of tactics have you seen work in terms of communicating the no?
1: What I've seen work really well is, and we've talked about this a little bit, falling back on process. When you're in your role, and it does take, I will say it does take agency to stand up for yourself, stand up for your process. So it it can be difficult for people who are newer in their roles. Or newer in their careers and feeling like they haven't necessarily proven themselves to an organization where they have that credibility of when they say not right now it means not right now. Um, so so that's that's kind of a whole other challenge of when you're new you're new in a role how can you establish credibility quickly to have those conversations? But once you're there it's it's process. You say this is what it takes for me to do this work. And it can be very transparent and it doesn't need to be a 10 page single space document. It can be still fairly lightweight, but it's that communication upfront of this is what I require. And so if you wanna to come to me with a request, like this is what I need from you upfront. And it can be very painful to make that transition, especially from a well-established team, from that just do this to we're gonna follow these steps. But overall, the throughput is much higher of work, and it allows employees to prioritize their work. When you're sitting in a pool of top priority urgent requests, it is impossible to prioritize. It's very demoralizing. When you don't know what to be working on, you're constantly switching, and you're constantly having to make sacrifices in your quality of work to accommodate everybody's urgent request. So a little bit of process gives you two things. It gives you the ability to prioritize your work. So everything is just coming in with a little bit more advance notice. And it gives you the ability to say no or say not right now when there's an issue. Process really empowers people, I think. Process empowers individual contributors to stick to executing at a very high level.
0: Yes, and it's hard not to look at the pile of things and get overwhelmed, but I think we need to take ownership where we can as well. I think, and this isn't a bad thing at all, a lot of operations people are people pleasers, and we tend to say yes to a lot of things, but it it's critical to have a realistic outlook on what we can achieve in any given amount of time and stick to our own processes. Because if you make an exception, that's it, more than, often than not, that will haunt you. And that's where project
1: managers, I think, are so effective. Oh, yeah. Is they can really say this role, not even this person, but this role is available for you know six hours of work a day and two hours of meetings a day, or whatever that might be. And then you can start to break down the pieces of the requests. Once you have a process and you can kind of understand how long requests take to action, being realistic about that, the project managers really help coordinate when work is going to be slotted into somebody's schedule. And if that schedule hits that six hours of execution work, then it rolls over to the next day. And there's no evaluation of individual compromise do I need to work late tonight I mean that's so awful when you are assessing well I guess I could do this if I stayed late yeah it's a terrible place to be and you can do it once or twice but I think that's one of the leading things that leaves people to leave an organization Mm -hmm. is if they're doing that on a regular basis
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we've talked many times on this podcast about boundaries and their role in burnout. And this squarely to me falls into the realm of boundaries, boundary setting. So having said that, I'm kind of thinking through the emotional components of this and how it's, it's easy to get very frustrated and vent and and just get a little bit bitter. But I think it's really critical to assume good intent from the other party and that they're coming when they say the word just i think it's an education moment to say when you say the word just i think of all the things i need to do and it kind of makes me feel like there isn't a lot of value placed on that now this is going to be a kind of awkward conversation it has to be handled carefully but i think we're at the point culturally that it's important to be a little bit transparent with what we're going through to minimize the impact on us long-term. Everybody's having a hard time right now. I think it's okay to admit it and to say, you know, when you put it like that, here are all the things I have to do. And when you say just, and I know you don't mean it this way, it kind of minimizes that and and makes it seem like I should be doing it faster and I, I just physically can't. So is there somewhere we can meet in the middle where when you come to a request, we can add some more buffer time. That would really help me feel like I'm doing my job well.
1: Yeah. And transparency is a big part of that, where people can see each other's workloads and people can understand what's required of different actions within a team. I think a lot of requests, I I think requesters, Very rarely, if ever, have some malicious intent. They just maybe themselves aren't that organized or they don't know what's needed from their counterpart. And so when they come to the MOPS team member with the execution request, they uh, are just unaware of how much time is needed to actually get that asset ready to be published.
0: Oh, and I have been guilty of it. I think we all have. Like when we're judging salespeople, We, a lot of times we forget the pressure they're under to make their number and bring in an income for their family. I know that when I was in sales operations, I would sometimes get very frustrated with marketing operations when the numbers would change or something would happen. And then I went into marketing operations. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so much harder than I thought. So walking a mile in someone's shoes, barring that, being transparent and communicating the steps in the process can be extremely helpful.
1: And it clarifies it for the person doing the work as well. Because I know earlier in my career when I was sitting in-house in house and demand generation roles, and someone would say, I need an ebook title change. I would say, Okay, yeah, I'll, I can do that in five minutes. You know, like I can do that real quick. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I meant it, but that's because I hadn't thought through fully what are all, lo- in that moment, I was not thinking about what are all of the steps that I need to go through in order to accommodate that change. So I've been really quick to say, oh, yeah, I can do that. That's no problem. That's five minutes of work. But actually, it's not five minutes of work. I just didn't have top of mind, definitely didn't have written down a checklist of everything that needs to happen when there's that type of change. We've spent a, a bit of time now talking about the kind of change order scenario. But I do think that there's another scenario that leads to urgent requests that's uh, maybe equally as common, if not more common. And that is uh, multi team initiatives that aren't progressing like they should be. You have a six week multi team initiative, six month initiative, and all of a sudden the go live date is upon you. And you, like the whole group, hasn't progressed the way they need to. And now, everybody needs to be working nights, weekends in order to hit this C-level go-live date, you know, executive level visibility on this go-live date.
0: Sure. And I think if I can inject a hypothesis, it feels like um, marketers are so good at external communication, but we are not the best at internal communication. And communicating to the team and making sure that they're aware that certain milestones aren't being hit, having a plan in place to know milestones aren't being hit, and just over communicating, you can't put a price on that. It's just, it really helps mitigate the risk of being in that situation.
1: And it takes a lot of ownership to do that. I've been in many cross-team meetings where people give their updates, which are some flavor of i've made progress in these areas but i'm i don't have these things done what that means is that they're behind but they don't say that they just say you know i've done this haven't done that and then everybody else says okay and then you go on to the next person
0: nope nope sorry i mean you have to be able to speak up and say okay I understand things happen. However, we have these dependencies that are reliant on those things, and now we're behind by this much. And it takes a lot of organization to do that.
1: To have top of mind what the dependencies are, you really have to be on the ball. Just like you have to be on the ball to say, well, that ebook title change, I have top of mind all of the dependencies here.
0: Mm hmm. hmm. That's where a project planning tool is an invaluable resource. It just is to be able to sit in a meeting and go through and list out all of the deliverables and the dependencies and the time and work back into a reasonable timeline. Now, very often we're given a deadline (laughs) that we have to meet, but that's not always set in stone. And if, if we can line out everything that needs to be done and communicate back to the executive team in the first week we have the project that... I think we're going to miss this deadline, it's not realistic, here's the time we need in order to do this well. A lot of times after you talk it through with them, they're agreeable to amending the go live date. I think so too. I
1: think that work back timeline from the go live date and everything that you have to do is one of the most powerful things that something that someone in marketing operations can do because it forces you to outline those steps. If maybe you don't have that process written out, it forces you to think through all of the work that you need to do. And it's something that you can take back to others that's very clear where they can start to see dependencies and see dates and realize that medium to large campaigns, they can take weeks or months to coordinate.
0: You know, what's occurring to me as we're having this conversation is that more organizations that have consistent large projects like this should really consider hiring a project manager on their operations team. Because that frees up the person who's maintaining the systems and actually putting things in place to do the job they do well. So if you have the resources to bring someone on board, oh, that would be just a huge win. Don't you think so? I
1: don't ever want to work without a project manager again, <laughs> so, I feel, I so I agree like with you. you. I agree with you, and I know that I've been on teams that say, well, we can't justify the headcount, but the the volume of work that goes through when you have a project manager coordinating the moving pieces is so massive that it justifies the expense of the extra headcount.
0: Yeah, and if you're having problems building a business case, this is tedious. But mark it down on your calendar when you're doing when you're fulfilling that project manager function, as opposed to doing tactical or strategic work. Put that in a presentation. Build a business case. They'll get that headcount in there if you can really prove the value or um, the cost of not bringing them in. One of
1: the the things that I think is important in a project manager that I haven't always seen is someone who is familiar, who has domain expertise. So there are people who have project management certifications, project management skills. They're very organized. They're good at communicating. But then there's that domain expertise of being able to hear a request and start to think through what's needed. They don't need to be at the same level of expertise as the solutions architect or the operations manager that's actually running the campaigns, but they do need to know enough to really be a very good partner to that
0: operations person. Yeah, and having somebody who's introspective and reflects on what they don't know. If you can admit what you don't know, you can work with that solutions architect to kind of bridge that gap and and learn that piece. So as long as you have, I feel like if you hire someone who's thoughtful, very collaborative and admits when they don't know something, I think that goes a long way in getting them on the path to ramp up really quickly. It's when people assume that they understand because they've been in a highly technical environment that we run into trouble and and really miscalculate those timelines. Wouldn't you agree?
1: I, yes. I think that timeline estimation is a skill and people often undervalue that skill
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where it not, well, yeah. And I think over time, I mean, I, I maybe I'm It's kind of a fool's errand <laughs> to think that with experience, you know, anyone can kind of build that build that muscle. But I, I do think that it comes with experience of seeing when things you have, you didn't have enough time to be able to give yourself enough buffer. And one of the the most common scenarios that I see across the board is people don't give themselves enough time to do work especially in the marketing operation side that that kind of
0: well some of us uh pad a little too much time on and then our managers start deducting two weeks from the timeline we give them perhaps but you know like yes there's there's a double-edged sword (laughs) yes yes yes. you want to be realistic you don't
1: if you pad too much people will not believe you and they start ignoring you and that's um i mean that's just devastating that 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 means that you have a system in place and that nobody's abiding by the system. So there's a real problem there. But you don't want want to sell yourself short in how much time it takes to do something. And I think we do that all the time because we don't really think through in a a concise way all the steps that are involved in the work that we need to do. So we say, oh, that's a five-minute task. No, it's not. It's 45 minutes minimum.
0: Yeah. And I think in that situation, I was in an environment where evenings and weekends were totally within the realm of what was expected. So sure, I could do it two weeks sooner if I didn't have a work-life balance, but come on. (laughs) Yeah. So you're right. It it is a respect and yeah, this, this all has a lot to do with respect and hearing other people and transparency. There's always psychology in everything we do. You know, I'm thinking
1: about the request, the the trade off of should I work late to accommodate this request or not? And I don't, I've never worked with someone who's made a request uh, to me or to another another peer in an operations role, uh, willfully wanting that person to work late. Oh, but what yeah, I've seen a lot of, I have though. You have? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's not good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, what I was going to say is, what I've seen a, a lot of though, which maybe complements that piece, is people will say, well, can you do it? They 100% put the onus of assessing the feasibility, the trade-offs, the work-life balance, the other tasks, they put all of that onto that individual contributor. Mm -hmm. Just say, well, you tell me And there's, there is that partnership. Communication has to come from the individual contributor up. And I think that's where a lot of the resentment comes in. I'm in some of these marketing communities where I can see people are really frustrated when they get those requests. Yes. But it does take communication from the individual contributor up to, to establish what they need uh, and what their working conditions will be. Yep. But once that's done and there's that baseline of here's how I work and here's how we partner together up front before a request comes in. I really think it's not fair for requesters to then put or managers acting on behalf of requesters to say, well, can you do this? What should I tell you? know? What's your answer? It puts so much burden on that individual contributor to assess. Am I willing to work late tonight?
0: yeah and i think again i want to come to the place where i'm assuming good intent and they honestly i've had less technical managers tell me i literally don't know what goes into this i need to understand a timeline and that's fair i feel like that's more fair right but if you're in a work culture where 60 hours a week plus is the standard and you have a lot of expectations Um, I think it's a good point in time to reflect what your values and priorities are and whether or not things are aligning with that. It's a great time to go job hunting. But as you said, we have so much more control over our destinies than we give ourselves credit for in the way that we communicate. So setting those expectations early and setting boundaries is so critical unfortunately I've seen so many times when people want to start setting those boundaries that because they've already set a precedent that's gone on for one, two years, very hard to turn that boat around.
1: I, I feel like I've been, I've been in that position. I've, I have, um, I think we all, yeah, <laughs> I know I have a, a history maybe of, of thinking about work in terms of work until the work is done. And that mentality, yep. um, really will will be like the nail in, the final nail in your coffin um, in, a, in a work context, because the work is never done. There's always more to do, especially when you're in that reactive role of triaging several or many urgent requests. So, you know, having lived in that mindset of, I'm going to bring a candle from both ends because I want to be a good team player. What I've Come to think about the individual's responsibility in that is that it's never too late to start setting boundaries. And you don't need to say, you don't need to say, you know well, I need to choose between dinner with my family and work. You don't need necessarily to tell the other person that, but you can say, this is when I can work. And just a declarative statement. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to explain all of the trade-offs And you don't even need to allow yourself to think about working late. You can just say, nope, I can work on this at this time. And once you take that ownership over your own destiny and your own schedule and you make a declarative statement, you don't give the other person input to reprioritize your life or your workload for you. You just say, this is when I can do it. Usually that's acceptable. And if it's not, they say, well, I really need it before that time. Uh, Then you can have that next discussion of here are the other things that I'm working on. So we need to decide about what needs to move, but you don't even put the work-life balance stuff on the table. Right. My workday starts at this time and I'm available to start working on your request if all these other things move. And that's only if you get pushback. But that sentence of this is when I'm available to work on your project can be very hard to say. You kind of have to train yourself to say that instead of, thinking through all of the compromises that you could make
0: and i think it's also really important for somebody who's really frustrated and kind of at the end of their rope it's really important to stop and reflect if you're not willing to put the boundary that you just stated in place if you're not willing to define your work hours and push back and there's part of you that's getting something out of saying yes to things I had to really reflect and and realize I like coming in and being the hero. I like being the smart one. And then I had to weigh that against what's this doing to my health? What's this doing to my mental wellness? You really have to think that through and hopefully you get to the point where you're motivated to say, this is when my workday starts. This is when it ends here are the tasks in front of you. We either move something or you have to wait. Mm -hmm.
1: There's actually a lot of self-reflection, I guess I would say, that would come into arriving to a place where you can make a statement Mm -hmm. like that. And again, if you have a project manager or you have a a manager who kind of acts as your project manager, uh, that helps so much. But if you don't and it's you that's having to field these requests, ultimately, no one can prevent you from overworking, except you. Yeah. Oh. And so you, you have to think through that piece. You have to think through that piece and be willing to think about what your boundaries are, and then stick to them.
0: Yeah. And I don't want people to walk away thinking, we're blaming you for burning out. I think what we'd love to have you walk away with instead is there's a better way to do things. And in operations, there's always 20 ways to do things. Let's reflect, slow down, and think about a better way to get this done. Amanda, thank you so much. I feel like we could talk forever. This has been such a a great experience for me personally, and I think people get a lot out of it. Where can folks find you online to network? If, are you part of any communities, LinkedIn? Yeah,
1: LinkedIn, always a great place to reach out. You can also find me at Pucuta.com.
0: Wonderful. And for those of you listening, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell two friends. Rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any, um, we're going to start like a a soapbox portion. If you have any anonymous rants you'd like to send in, send it to hello at calibermind.com. Advice, anything along those lines, feedback. We'd love hearing from you. And for those of you who are looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.